0: Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Tuesday, January 23rd, 2024. Thank you for joining me today. Right back at it today to get back into some foreign policy focus. Yesterday, I took a little step into some more abstract topics. Well, really, not really when you understand what's truly going on, but as it's perceived to most people the smart dust aspect, the tech, the technocracy connection to what's currently going on, the connection to our medical health. But there's a lot that I put off yesterday that I wanted to make sure we got to. And I wanted to have Robert Inlakesh join me today, in my opinion, one of the best people to have these conversations with, and also happens to work with The Last American Vagabond. It's an honor to have him on the show. As always, Robert, how are you today, my friend?
1: I'm doing fine. Thank you for having me back.
0: Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's get into quite a bit today. I kind of wanted to start with something that is kind of overtaken the news cycle today for the most part. But it's always interesting Interesting to me how the same it's, – it's almost – it's very clear to me how repackaged the same narratives are coming from. And this isn't unique to the Israeli government, but how, is, how when you're in this kind of a mode where it's the U.S. government or Israel, that you can just see these like recycled same sentiments that just get put out even though the verifiable information is, is quite different. So that's in regard to the 21 IDF members that were recently killed. And but actually, well, technically, I, I forgot I wanted to start just with one point before that to get kind of set with where they currently are, and then we'll jump into that conversation. But here is something I wanted to ask you about this first of all, actually, well, this, and then we can talk about where they currently are. I just wanted to play this first. I was, this is very interesting to me, and I wanted your, ta- your thoughts on this. And Ania shared this: Netanyahu defines terrorism in 1987 interview, and it's perfect definition of who he is and and what he, she argues the state of Israel is. So let's play this really quickly, and I want you to give me your take on how this applies, and and you know whether you think he means this, and so on. So let's let's look at this first. So it's an interesting interesting clip.
1: Do is
2: target the innocent deliberately, and therefore my definition of terrorism. Is the, innocent, the systematic and deliberate attack, the murder, maiming, and menacing of innocents, of civilians, for uh, political goals. You can tell a lot about terrorists, but what happens when they come to power? Those who fight for freedom and come to power do not impose terrorism. Those who do, who fight in terroristic means, end up as being masters of terrorist states.
0: Isn't that interesting, right? So what are your thoughts?
1: Well, it's interesting, especially since uh, his state uh, came to being through terroristic means. Um, in fact, all the organizations which founded his state were called terrorist organizations from, uh, ranging from Britain and France and other countries. Even, I believe, in the United States, the Irgun were also prescribed at, at one point, um, and- if I can recall correctly. Didn't the um, Lehi
0: faction of the Urgun party even call themselves terrorists? I believe that's on the record, right? That was the term they used for their own people were terrorists.
1: Um, I'm I'm not sure if they described themselves as terrorists. That might have been the case. I, I'm not aware of that information as to whether they described themselves as such. They described themselves as colonialists at one mm-hmm. point, which is interesting because now they'll talk about uh, – I heard an Israeli spokesperson say that uh, – Uh, Zionism is uh, the world's most successful or the best anti-colonial movement, which is hilarious because (laughs) they used to function uh, out of a colonial office uh, to conduct their policy. But in that aside, um, these groups like uh, uh, the Stern Gang and uh, the Urgun and even the Haganah uh, used means of terrorism in order to achieve their aims, Uh, you know, not getting caught too much uh, now into the history But after the Arab revolt of 1936 to 1939 against the British, during which the British killed thousands of Palestinians and basically destroyed the Palestinian resistance um, Mm -hmm. inside of occupied Palestine that had risen up and fought against it and the Zionist movement, the British had trained and armed these groups. And then these very same groups, after what was known as the White Paper was issued, which essentially uh, put a cap on Zionist immigration. Jewish immigration from uh, Europe to occupied Palestine and uh, also uh, attempted to pledge um, a Palestinian state. Um, and this was one of the first times where we saw this actually, you know, um, in a written document that the British were looking to actually give the Palestinians a state um, and a considerable portion of the land. Hmm. Uh, and so the Zionists from that point decided that they would engage in terrorism against the British. They killed around 500 Brits, roughly. They bombed the British embassy in Rome. They even purchased uh, planes uh, to drop bombs uh, over London. They planted uh, bombs inside of hotels in London. They attempted to send a letter bomb to Winston Churchill. Um, And then there is the very famous bombing of the King David Hotel, Um, which killed uh, uh, British um, and other foreign uh, nationals, uh, Israeli or at that point uh, Zionist uh, Jews um, uh, and uh, Palestinians in in the bombing. Uh, Because, of course, at that point uh, there wasn't an Israel. So these were Zionists. Um, And so that's how it came into being. And eventually that led to pressuring the British to just leave the whole situation alone. And then in 1948, or really from 1947 through to 1949, these same terrorist organizations are the organizations which committed these massacres, such as Deir Yassin, um, and ethnically cleansed the Palestinian villages um, and killed thousands of Palestinians. So, uh, And then when you see they come to power, it's not like this latest massacre of civilians is something new for the Zionists. I mean, in terms of the scale, Definitely. In terms of the dead, definitely. We haven't seen anything like this, I think, really since the colonial era in terms of how horrifying this is, um, and now with modern weapons. Um, So you'll see that in 1982, for instance, they killed 20,000 plus Palestinian Mm -hmm. and Lebanese. And then once they forced the PLO, they talk about uh, you know, when we force our enemies out, then all of the violence is going to stop and they'll live in, you know, they say Gaza will turn into Singapore and all of this. Well, in 1982, they succeeded in pushing out the PLO, which later they signed an agreement with, by the way, right. and the United States at the time called the PLO terrorists. They pushed them out of Beirut. And as soon as they were pushed out, the Palestinians And those uh, Lebanese who were living uh, either inside the camps, in some cases, technically in their territory or just outside, were subjected to massacres which were committed by Christian militias who were directly backed by the Israelis. Um, So, you know, throughout their history, and we can go into many different cases Mm -hmm. and and accounts, they've carried out this uh, very same action. And uh, Netanyahu saying that, I mean, uh, it's almost an admission of guilt because Israel was conducting itself in this very same way, even back when he was uttering those words uh, back. I, I believe that clips from the 1980s. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah, I, mean, I have the exact date, but that's it's the time frame. And And to bring it back to you said his clip. Is where he's stating it the point is, well, then we agree, right so obviously yes, then what you're, you're describing is exactly the way that your government and your Zionist entity has committed or, or conducted itself, and it's the same argument that's used today, right? Well, as soon as we get Hamas out of the way, it'll all be everything will be hunky well, their own history proves that's false. so I just think it's interesting to lay that that, that groundwork to show you that they, they've been using the same excuse to justify what they're doing against these people, and it never changes what they continue to do so you know by his own statements then he's claiming he's a terrorist and i think that's an interesting place to start and it actually let's go to this next just because i think this is relevant to what uh you were just basically saying let me see if i can grab it real quick it's have you seen the clip that's been circulating it's not a new clip that's what i think is important about it we talked about it in wake up today as well about the uh what's called uh gaza alcatraz have you seen that
1: Um, Let let, let let me grab this for
0: you. So it's, it's a clip. It's a, it's a clip of what they in, I think it's 2017 are discussing. They make a little graphic for it, what they want to do and, and, you know, move the Palestinians out onto this Island. And I just think it's interesting that that in and of itself is sort of the same concept. It's like, well, everything will be fine. Once we just get them all the way over there, and the point is, well, isn't that the kind of the point about what you said with Gaza? So my, my argument this morning was like, yep, until they just in a couple of years go, well, now that's ours. Now you can move over there, right? And it's just the same cycle. So I'll play this for you since you haven't seen it, and then you can talk about it. It's a, it's an interesting and kind of alarming. To, and well, and the main point is for the average person, this, as always, did not start on October seventh. This has been the same plan, the same effort. This is just the current iteration of the, of the, you know, ongoing
3: official island initiative is aimed at providing an answer to a reality that is bad for the palestinians and not good for israel today israel continues to be perceived as being responsible for the gaza strip and is to a large extent the only lifeline to it even though it withdrew from the Strip over a decade ago Construction of an artificial island with a port and civilian infrastructure installations off the coast of Gaza will provide the Palestinians a humanitarian, economic, and transportation gateway to the world without endangering Israel's security. The artificial island, which will be internationally financed, built, and owned, will be constructed about three miles off the coast of Gaza. Cargo and passenger ports, port operation and management facilities, water desalination, electricity and gas installations, as well as logistics centers will be built on the island. In order to ensure that security threats are addressed, Israel will remain in control of security in the sea around the island and of security (laughs) inspection in the port.
0: An international
3: Gaza policing force Morgan will be island. responsible for security and public order on the island and for a checkpoint on the bridge which will connect the island to the coast. The ability to secure the island will be significantly greater than if a port were to be built on the Gaza coast itself, and should the need arise, the island could be disconnected from the Strip.
0: So for those that are just want to make sure you, you know, because people wonder, you know, it's always good to check. This is definitely Times of Israel shared this, an Israeli minister promoting this idea which, again, you you can argue it doesn't mean that it's necessarily what everyone wanted. But, you know, the point is, this is a common sentiment. How do we get rid of this problem, which is not Hamas, but all of the Palestinian people? Now, assuming they got all the bells and whistles that they claim were in there, even if that's, you know, it's still just you're, you're being exiled onto some like the Gaza Alcatraz is what it's saying. So have you, have you seen that before?
1: I haven't seen the video, but I read right, articles was around the time on it. Uh, so I'm familiar with the concept. I mean, they have vivid imaginations. Uh, that's what I can say. Gaza has a port. This is the right. thing. Gaza has a port already. It just can't be used. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. Um, so this whole idea of giving Gaza a port, um, perhaps maybe there was some sort of Qatari interest in financing something like this uh, back then. Um, but, you know, this is the way it is. If you want to have a, a checkpoint there and you want to have warships surrounding it, I mean, what sort of trade can be conducted, which is going to feed into a real viable economy. The Palestinians don't have an economy in the occupied territories. um, And this includes the West Bank. There's not really an economy. Everything comes through and is controlled and dominated by Israel. Israel even takes the tax revenue from the Palestinian Authority. And then as it chooses, uh, withholds that from them uh, in violation of their agreements with the Palestinian Authority and international law. Yeah, they have very vivid imaginations. That's my comment on them.
0: Yeah, yeah. I just think it's and so the point was obviously that you could see the sentiment is very clear. It's always been there and it's always a justification. Just one more step, just one more step, you know, which has allowed this like incremental torture of this population for such a long time. In many cases, not incremental, but you know, at the current point, or before recently what's happening. But so let's talk about where they currently are. Because this is something that like in any one of these situations, whether it's Russia and Ukraine, it seems that every side is always trying to present the, the, you know, constructed presentation of what they've accomplished. And it's usually never, you know, the the exact picture on either side. So this is being presented by. Megatron, and you know, but but it's being related. This is being you know largely discussed in multiple corporate platforms. But usually, it's coming from statements from either side, kind of thing. And this is from the Wall Street Journal saying Mm -hmm. Israel is failing to destroy Hamas in Gaza. And this was an uh, you can this is an article circulating. U.S. intelligence agencies estimate Israel has killed twenty percent to thirty percent of Hamas fighters. Frankly, I don't I don't know if I believe that. I find that hard. I mean, you they would have been parading this around if this was something you could verify. Quite frankly and it's just falling short of their target to destroy them completely. They estimate Hamas has months of ammunition left, causing Biden to pressure Netanyahu to change his approach. Uh, this is Megatron saying the Wall Street Journal confirms that he what he already wrote, that Israel's failing in gaza and is slowly beginning to withdraw even though some hamas fighters that it managed to eliminate it did so with huge casualties in their ranks and the argument really ultimately being that if they continue to do this it's only going to end up in their own destruction kind of sounds like what you were predicting from the very beginning quite frankly right Mm -hmm. so is that real is that where you see this actually at
1: the conclusions of the report i agree with the conclusions uh, primarily um as for this twenty to thirty percent figure, I mean that's a considerable difference—twenty mm-hmm. or thirty percent. I mean, if you can't give a number, a rough estimate, then what you're doing essentially—and this is what the Israelis have done as well—to come up with their, well, I, I think there's two ways perhaps they've come up with this uh, figure, uh, which mm-hmm. they present, which is the eight to nine thousand Hamas fighters they call them, um, mm-hmm. which I'll, I'll break down in a little bit of detail here for. Uh, the viewers, so that they can understand this. So, number one, um, the Israelis are using AI technology in order to generate targets. That's well known. I'm sure you've gone for that at length um, mm-hmm. on your show. Um, and so, when they have they have these targets come up with the AI technology, they're given a percentage. Uh, and yeah, this is the report here um, of how likely it is that there's you know a Hamas position there. Um, you know, whether the target is male or female um, and, you know, and based upon that, they'll order the strike. And they've basically just been ordering random strikes and they took, I think, what was it like something like 30 seconds or something in this report, they say uh, to authorize a strike. So it's not like these are well thought out uh, targets. Um, They didn't have enough targets to hit. They didn't have a bank of targets of valuable targets based upon their own intelligence work. So they've not been able to destroy a significant portion of the Hamas, Islamic Jihad, and the other groups infrastructure underground. Um, And so and that's clear, they don't have operational control, they claim to have full operational control in different areas. But then we see these videos pop up from the Gassam Brigades, the armed wing of Hamas, um, showing that, Clearly, they don't have operational control because even in the areas where they're supposed to have the most control, Hamas is popping up and fighting them and hitting them with RPGs. Um, And so they don't have a true idea of of exactly how many they're killing. They don't know. Um, So this is the second way I think that the Israelis have come up with their number of eight to nine thousand. If you look at that statistic, that's roughly how many men have been killed in total in the Gaza Strip, eight to nine thousand. And this is out of the true statistic, which is roughly 33 to 34,000 Palestinians have been killed um, between the missing who are ex- uh, who are assumed to be dead and those who were confirmed to have been killed uh, by the health ministry. And by the way, these numbers by the health ministry are not accurate, not because they're overstating them because they're a Hamas run health ministry. It's right. actually the very opposite. They don't have the capacity to count them all mm-hmm. and, and gather all the information on the names of the dead. Um, the majority of, of uh, the people who are dying, they don't have, they can't account for them anymore. And, and that's why quick, the
0: death are lower. And to add to that, I'm sure you've seen yourself too. I think it was both Associated Press and I think it was the Washington Post argued that they're historically accurate, even compared to Israel's later numbers, that it's almost always very, you know, at the very clo- very po- least similarly accurate to the same
1: point. So historically they are accurate. Yeah, they're trusted. They work with international organizations and also uh, all of their reports before they put out their reports. Um, they are checked in Ramallah by the Palestinian Authority. Uh, well, it's under the control of the Palestinian Authority because it's the Palestinian health ministry mm-hmm. um, and it's a branch of the Palestinian health ministry. Um, and, and the idea that some Hamas run that there is some fighter with a gun who's just coming up with random numbers. is just it's ridiculous. But that's why they say Hamas run health ministry. Um, you know, it's like saying Netanyahu run health ministry to delegitimize, uh, Israeli right. death, Iran tubs. backed rebels in, in Yemen. That's the same kind of thing. It's undermined the legitimacy as you wrote recently about. Exactly. Um, just to, uh, go back a little bit to the, um, uh, before we get into another rabbit hole, um, the, um, uh, the death toll that they're putting for for this twenty to 30,000 fighters. So uh, the other way is that they're taking the entire male death toll, which is just completely inaccurate to begin with, uh, to try and take and say every single man who was killed was a Hamas fighter. Now, there's not only the fact that they're saying 20 to 30% of Hamas fighters have been killed. They don't even know how many Hamas fighters there are, by the way. They have no clue. They say between 30 to 40,000. They don't know. So this 20 to 30 percent figure, how do they come up with that if they don't know how many Hamas fighters there actually are on top of that as well? How do they know they are Hamas fighters to begin with that they're killing? Because there is around a dozen different armed groups there and groups like Palestinian Islamic Shahad with their armed wing Suraya Al-Quds or the Al-Quds brigades, uh, Jerusalem brigades, um, have up to 70,000 fighters. They actually have more fighters than Hamas. So um, a lot of people don't know that, but they have yeah. more fighters than Hamas because their standards are less strict. Hamas are very strict and they have, uh, uh, they're more professional. They're understood to be more professional and have better security measures in place. So even if it's true that you've destroyed 30 to 40, uh, sorry, 20 to 30% of Hamas fighters, as they state in that article, that's still not close, to coming close to defeating Hamas, number one. Right. Um, it would be a significant blow, but... I don't believe that they did anything like that because I agree. Uh, you you still you can't demonstrate that these were even Hamas fighters. You can't give me a number. You can't give me a rough number. Um, I, I would go it, as far as to
0: say that they're not even trying to do that. That'd be my personal opinion. I don't I don't think that the aim is even remotely about affecting Hamas while they seemingly allow the leadership to comfortably sit in Qatar while Qatar mediates deals with Hamas, Like it doesn't make any sense to me, quite frankly. I think that there's more going on there.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think they're just throwing out random statistics to be honest, and they're coming up with them. And even I think there is the one of the Israeli spokespeople who based in the UK, and he was I think on Channel Four News being interviewed, and uh when he cited that eight to nine thousand, we've killed eight to nine thousand Hamas. And like uh, and the <laughs> the interviewer uh, says to him, You're just coming up with numbers. <laughs> because he knows Maybe he's got a lot knows. of pushback lately. <laughs> yeah. Because he himself, he's like, where are these numbers coming from? You're just plucking them out of the sky. And we see that as well. I I went through the statistics uh, maybe two weeks ago or so or a week and a half ago. And I was just looking at the statistics of how many Hamas fighters they claimed they killed on October 7. And they started, those statistics fluctuated Consistently. Even Israel's reporting on its own dead and injured is not accurate as well. Right. They're delaying announcing deaths of their own soldiers in some cases by around a month. Um, ha- Haaretz, uh, the most reputable newspaper uh, from the Israeli side, uh, did an investigation I think around a month and a half ago now where they went to different hospitals to investigate how many Israeli uh, soldiers had been injured and, and were being treated there in these hospitals that they visited and they found that just the hospitals that they visited um you know this is not including sort of uh, uh mock setup site uh, like you know mm-hmm. uh pop-ups or whatever yeah the yeah pop-ups the, mm-hmm. um you know tent sites and stuff like this um uh, the, the numbers were potentially uh, leading them to believe that it's three times the amount that they're saying. Wow. Um, uh, roughly. Um, and what they found uh, is that there was a significantly larger number of injuries, and that there was a military sensor in every single one of those hospitals to make sure that. Nothing is being said to the media. Nothing is being published without them monitoring it. So if anyone cannot be trusted for their statistics and what they say about death tolls, it's the Israelis. The Israelis, after all, had the 1,400 uh, death toll from October 7. And then they lowered that death toll down to 1,200. And then we learned that it was less than 1,200. Um, and. You know, from the start, the Western media were citing this 1400 uh, statistic to try and say that they were all civilians. And of right. course, a third of those killed roughly uh, were army and police. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and if you include
0: like- settlers, which I think a fair argument is made, that, that, especially now that they've been officially armed by the government they were before, but like in an official sense, that they're legal targets in a military sense when they're acting in that official capacity. But depending on the circumstances of what actually happened and when it matters, but you know, that should be disputed. But I think that's relevant. And the article you did with the cradle, as much as I know that there was a little bit of discrepancy there on like the full picture, I think the point is that they, to your point is not exact what it is, but ultimately that they're knowingly misrepresenting what the full picture is. So why we can take anything at face value from these people is the question.
1: Exactly. And and that's the same thing with these claims about uh, Hamas uh, sexual assault, because back when Mm -hmm. I was writing that piece for The Cradle, um, you know, we had access to the information, the initial claims of uh, rape. And it was interesting because Joe Biden started repeating these claims of rape um, at a time when the Israeli military had stated publicly at that time when Biden was saying there was proof, uh, the Israeli military had stated publicly, we haven't collected any evidence we don't have any, don't say anything because this is right. irresponsible because we haven't collected any evidence. Later on, they made their own claims, which then we heard that the times of Israel and other Israeli media came out and said, that well, there's no actual physical proof. We didn't right. collect any physical evidence of rape. We didn't have rape kits. They provide a number of different reasons. They talk about Jewish burial rituals and all of this stuff. Um, you know, I, I, Don't want to go too much into that, but now the important part to that is that the
0: time went, the window has now passed and they were clear about that. Like there was an opportunity to get that specific forensic evidence. They chose not to X, Y, and Z. They gave many reasons, but now that window's passed. So from a legal perspective, you could never arguably prove that it happened. Right. And that's, that's their statement. I think that's important.
1: Yeah. And and even if you look at those claims and, you know, uh, I've gone through them uh, at different times with more detail, uh, and I'm sure you have. But if you look at those claims, uh, those making the claims, uh, there's a lot of question marks around those individuals and organizations who are making those claims. And then it's very clear that there was a concerted campaign which was launched, which included figures like Hillary Clinton, who Hillary Clinton has a history in Libya of uh, putting out false claims. Uh, about you know mass rapes and sexual assault in order to weaponizing that sort of um you know uh that sort of atrocity propaganda in order to justify uh wars of aggression and that's exactly what they're doing here because in terms of if there were individual cases for instance of rape i don't think anyone would come out and be trying to dispute them if we had uh victims and we had very specific stories or anything that that seemed like it was trustworthy. I don't think anyone would be coming out and dis- disputing. Maybe there'll be a few people who would say, no, I still reject it. But um, their claim is that there is that Hamas ordered and weaponized yeah. rape and there's a Hamas sword. rapist regime. Yeah. And they're uh, a group of thirty to 40,000 rapists, all of them. And their ideology is about rape. And they there is a mass campaign of rape. Um, that, I
4: think
1: again, there's wrong. nothing... Yeah. There's nothing to prove that. Yeah, there's I nothing. agree. I agree. Well, let's other bring this insane. back to the
0: other point. I mean, because I look, I, we like we both talked about this is a topic that will continue to deserve attention. And as more evidence comes, I'll happily engage with it. The point stands there's no provable evidence that it happened. There's proof. Well, I would say there's no proof that it happened. I've said before there's evidence, data points. Like I said, with the woman in the Jeep that turns out to be the daughter of that one main high-level guy, right? It, ultimately, the point is it appears like it looks like she might have been abused, but we ultimately still don't know, and that's how anybody honest should have engaged with this, you know? But back, back and we, we can maybe touch on that a bit more when we get to a point today, if, if we get to it about the Hannibal Directive, but coming back to this, I'd like to, so the argument here is that that we dispute the amount of Hamas members that have been killed, but you do argue that it seems that Israel's ultimately you know, however you want to what word you want to use, they're failing in their achievement of their goals, and ultimately, seemingly like you predicted before, uh, take uh, I guess what the right word, but they're just they're, they're there's a they're having a large negative effect by what they're trying to accomplish here, and so failing, I think, is a fair assessment of what they're doing. So on the other side of that, here is uh, David Roth Lindberg, who's citing these uh, statistics, saying figures from the Israeli Ministry of Economy, saying, and this is a different point, it's about. Settlers essentially, and the Israeli population leaving because of what's happening since October 7th. 7% of the Israeli population have been internally displaced, which to me, I think it's a hard thing to make anybody care about while it's going on with Gaza, while they're really living in hotels, while their illegal settlements are being retaken by Lebanon, and like, which is arguably most of what that is. But the port that I think is interesting 14% of the dual citizens have left the country tourism in israel has plummeted 70 75 and if we get to the yemen point today they're shutting down trade predominantly you know <laughs> that israel needs for a lot of different things so in that res- in that regard that side of it, it do you see that being accurate and that there are people leaving and what do you think about that
1: um <clears throat> those statistics I'm, i don't know where his sources are but they ring true um from he's what say, he's see. saying they're coming from the israeli ministry of, of economy yeah they, they, they definitely ring true around what i've heard um Yeah, and and with those statistics, I mean this internally displaced uh, rhetoric. These are people living in settlements surrounding the Gaza Strip, which is a concentration camp, Mm -hmm. the world's largest concentration camp. They were living surrounding it and in militarized uh, communities. Um, And then you have the people in the north who are also living along the Lebanese borderland. Um, And of course, those people as well uh, are there and then in, for instance in the jolan in the shiva farms area that's occupied territory that's, right there's no dispute about that in the village that's occupied lebanese territory um so when they move well i mean you're at war you're you're choosing to bomb and kill people in other countries this is war if you want to move from your homes That's your choice. Your homes are not being in Lebanon. uh, The Lebanese border is a little bit different. Um, But in terms of uh, around Gaza, uh, your homes are not being completely demolished and and leveled like they are in Gaza. You're just you're scared. You don't want to live there. You don't want to stay in your bunker. You would rather go in a hotel somewhere else and you're scared. Um, So you ran away. And I don't
0: have much sympathy for that person in that position, to be quite frank. People can I, insult I me for many, that, but
1: yeah. I don't have uh, I don't have a shred of sympathy for it. Uh, Palestinians remain in their homes, yep. even under the threat that the entire building is going to be blown up. Why? Because this is their home and their land, and they refuse to leave it. Right. They refuse right. to leave it. This is ours. You will not push us away. You can kill anyone you want. You can kill me. You will never defeat us. You will never push us from our land. This is ours we're staying here, you won't win. That's the mentality of the Palestinian. The mentality of those Israeli settlers who live privileged lives next to a concentration camp with a standing army there conducting a ground incursion and committing a genocide. Oh, I'm afraid that perhaps a rocket will fall fall nearby and that there's going to be a siren which goes off. I mean, oh, that's all right. That you're you're scared. You're a coward. Leave the country. Leave all together. Go with your dual citizenship and go right. over. Live in the United States. Live in Canada. No one's going to stop you. Come. A lot of that's happening. Uh, I mean, that's fine. Like everyone, like that would be wonderful. Go to Canada. Go to the United States. Go to Britain. Go to France. Go to Germany. Go anywhere else. Then, right. Like, and I think you, what's important. So to, scared.
0: I think what's important to clarify too is what we're talking about are not at you know random Israeli citizens that happen to like we're talking about people in many cases who come from like New York and become illegal settlers in a position which is openly illegal in international law. Like the UN, even the United States is pressuring them to stop their illegal settlements. So again, you're right, no sympathy there. Like you're putting yourself in a position to be, like you can argue that the bottom line is while we're dealing with the displaced people, as you said, Palestinians who would, then they didn't want to diminish that courage by saying they're only being forced to stay there because of Hamas. And it's like, you know, it just becomes this ongoing manipulation. But let's I know you've got limited time. So well, actually, I had one question I would ask you, and I don't want it to take up a whole bunch of time, but I find this fascinating, just that, that really important, I guess, in in the the, the point of occupation, just really quickly <clears throat> So there's a legal occupation, obviously, which is somebody who is illegally remaining, which is the U.S. in many places, Israel, in Palestine, Syria, Lebanon. In your mindset or even just in international law, which you probably are very well versed on, is there a legal occupation? Is that is that only in the time frame where you're in the midst of war and you're supposed to pull away? Is that the only time frame there's a legal occupation or is there ever a time where that's considered legal?
1: Well, an occupation can be for a limited period of time and it there can be a legal argument for it, um, but an occupation is supposed to end and you're right, supposed to right. have a roadmap to end it. Um the Israelis have argued in the past that because they signed the Oslo Accords, you know, there was a path towards ending their occupation, um, which was it began in the West Bank and Gaza Strip and East Jerusalem in nineteen sixty seven. Uh, but it's very clear at this point that they've annexed uh, big swaths yeah. of this territory, and that in the West Bank, it's not—it's not even, you know, technically legally under international law. It's a, an occupation, and an illegal occupation at that, because of the fact that. This is not meant to end. They violated all their agreements with the other party. There was supposed to be a path towards uh, granting independence, and this has not happened. And then they continually commit daily war crimes. So everything about it and its nature is illegal. They can say that, well, we're allowed to have an occupation because of X, Y, Z, and they can present stupid legal arguments uh, uh, for it. But also under an occupation a people do have the right to armed struggle. Right. But then the Israelis robbed them of any right to do anything and then argue a right of self-defense. And in fact, uh, the ICJ ruled, I believe it was in 2002 or 2003, um, about the legality of the wall. And what ended up happening mm-hmm. on that, as a result of that, is they ended up uh, giving um, their opinion on other issues as well um, and accepting that uh, the Israelis don't actually have a right to to, uh, to self-defense um, as an yeah. occupier um, in, in those territories. They don't have that right under international law. Right. You can't defend yourself against people who are defending themselves against occupation and trying to fight off occupation because they have that right. Yeah, Um, And well, even further, in in the
0: South Africa case, one of the representatives brought that even further and made the point of its it's whole belligerent occupier aspect, right? So even if you argue you have a legitimate occupation, the point is that you have a legal obligation to protect the civilian population, which is why they argue that but clearly aren't doing that. So in every angle, you can see that no matter what their argument is, they're falling flat in actually achieving that. I'll I'll include this, which is an excellent piece of work that you did, and I believe this was – I forget if this is my interview with you about it or, oh yeah, it's the interview right there. So we interviewed you about your, your documentary called the steel of the century, which is, it, it goes back to Trump's time frame doing the same thing, trying to pretend like you're making another peace deal when all it was is like the reframing of the same illegal occupation, you know, which is just <laughs> insulting. So I'll include that for people to check out. Let's, let's jump over to this topic. So this, this is about the 21 IDF members. And I think this is really important because it hits on a few different important angles of this discussion. One, is that they're illegally demolishing civilian infrastructure. And there's just literally no legal obligation. Like even the argument of the human shield aspect has been put to them to say, you have to prove these things before you just act. And so even then in a long-term sense, they're not proving, they're not doing any of that or that there's a military purpose to it. But on top of that, it's showing you that they're doing so. And I argue a way to, to clear out what's currently there, which shows you that yes, they are going to be settling. All these things are provable. If you just pay attention to what they're saying, but the average person may not be aware of this. So this is story, This is Elon Levy. The person you were referencing He's the, I think the UK based representative for only October 7th, which I just think is interesting. looks like he's changed it now to spokesman in the October 7 war. That's new. It used to just say the October 7th spokesman. So now that's a way to make it an ongoing thing, right? So it's this ongoing from October 7th. In any case, he says Israelis are waking up to an unbelievably painful morning with news that 21 reservists were killed yesterday in Gaza. He writes, dismantling Hamas terror infrastructure, of course, right? Even though the provable reality as the intercept recently covered, and it's very easy to prove they were killed while planting explosives for controlled demolition in Gaza, which is illegal, what they're doing in civilian locations. They argue, first of all, that Hamas fired a rocket at them, which ultimately caused it to explode. And I've simply added this thing, liar, <laughs> their controlled demolition of civilian homes. So before we go in further, have you heard this story? What's your take on it thus far? And and you know you know the inner any more of the story.
1: Well, the death toll actually rose to twenty four. The Israelis admitted ah, in total. Okay. Um, so the operation was a uh, quite a complex one from uh, al-Ghassam brigades from Hamas, and I believe soon they're releasing the video footage that they have of it. Um, and so in the al camp, uh, east of the al-Maghazi camp. In central Gaza Strip, the Israelis had incursed a few kilometers into the area and were rigging 10 buildings with explosives. And they do this all the time. You'll see that, for instance, there is an Israeli soldier, uh, must have been like two months ago now, who I believe he was killed, actually. Uh, a bit of revenge for what he did, um dedicated the blowing up of a building to like right. his, his young daughter, who was like three years old, just sick and twisted, um, you know a civilian home, and they were rigging these civilian homes, ten civilian homes, and whilst they were <laughs> rigging these buildings with explosives, um, a Kasam fighter popped up out of a tunnel, one hit uh, a Merkava tank, an Israeli tank, and killed and injured those inside and then after that. They uh, launched a firmer barrack, um, uh a rocket prop- uh, propelled grenade from an RPG um, into one of the buildings where the Israelis uh, were holed up, planting these explosives to detonate oh, okay. the civilian so, homes. I didn't know they had thermobaric from. Oh, sorry. Keep going. Keep going. Yeah. Um, yeah, these are domestically produced. So they have okay. different types. Some They have the different type, but they have this Yasin 105, which is designed for tanks. And then they have uh, yeah uh, different types of warheads. So they fired this into the building and then the building, because it's rigged with explosives and mm-hmm. also all of the, these Israeli soldiers are inside. Um it detonated all of the explosives and the entire bu- building collapsed, including the building next door and damage as well to another building. Uh so it collapsed on top of them and they had this very complex uh rescue operation that they had to conduct for I think around oh. eight hours and calling in hundreds of reserves uh to try and you know dig them out of the rubble. Uh because and they're still uh missing and many injured as well from this. So uh, that death toll could even climb. Um and this is the thing, like you know, uh if you're going to go and rake people's homes with explosives just to blow them up for fun, and that's what it is, like this whole idea that they're doing it for their safety is just utter nonsense. Why do you have to go in there personally with those explosives? And if there's such a threat, you can just right. waltz in so easily. It's such a threat, these buildings. You have, to, you have to go in personally and deliver the explosives. No, they just they have fun blowing up civilian homes, right. um, and they paid the price for it this time. They learned that when you go and do things like that, those people who are who used to live in those homes, which you've driven out and forced into tents, that these tents of which are now drowning in mm-hmm. open fields, and these people are suffering from disease and starving. Yeah, those people, right. those people that you're having fun detonating their homes and filming it for TikTok, right. those people are going to come and hit you with something while you do it. And they paid the price for it. Uh, they paid the price for it. Yeah, yeah I there's, mean, there, there's a lot of
0: these, and, and they're posting them all over the place. That's the crazy part that, you know, where you can tell. And and I'll, well, actually, well, since this is a good time to play it, we'll show this clip of, of uh, the State Department, right? We'll, we'll just really quickly show you a couple of these. This, oh, and there's, this is an important one as well. This is a document that you can read, Soldier of Israel's Engineering Corps went on Facebook to share how he and his brother in arms used 300 mines to blow up a neighborhood. Now, first of all, you could argue he lied about this on Facebook. That's always possible. But he, in, in of course, Khan Yunus, where they're supposed to be safe, a safe zone, they claim, where they're bombing them with massive 2,000-pound bombs as a revenge mission after being ambushed by one Palestinian fighter. And so the point is you can see a lot of these where they're openly and, – and, th- and this is the example of what we're talking about today – where they rigged this for demolition. Now, whether that's because of some infrastructure development process or individual choices to blow up different things, it's illegal at every stretch of the imagination. Now, here is what they were saying at the State Department, and even Saeed calling out for this exact thing. Like, look, if you're going to go in the building and plant devices, then you're very well aware that there is not Hamas members in the building, right? So you, you're you're admitting that you know that, and that so their own argument is an admission of guilt, as you were just saying, right? So let's watch this. This is interesting. Oops, wrong one. There it is.
2: Yesterday, the Israeli military occupied and destroyed the Israel University in Gaza. I mean, this is probably number 10 of all 10 universities that they have destroyed. And is it the assessment of this department or this government that this was a legitimate target.
5: So I can't speak to this uh, individual action. I don't have independent information to verify that, but I can say that we continue to urge Israel uh, to avoid damage to critical infrastructure. Um, mm-hmm. That would, of course, include universities and to ensure the protection of humanitarian and medical sites. That has been something we have urged from the outset of this conflict. It is very difficult. And again, I'm, I'm not talking about this particular site because I don't have information about this mm-hmm. particular site, but it is always difficult when you see Hamas.
0: Even though they're there helping AIM, which we've proven, they've now documented it from the corporate media that they have people on the ground helping them pinpoint where to bomb. Yeah, god. I shouldn't even cut in because they literally say everything that I would say, which I'm surprised. The state they Said and Matt Lee and they they push back in this. Do you have any comments? They're positive already.
1: Um uh, yeah, I think we can keep watching it and
5: uh yeah, see how they use do. those civilian inf- uh uh right. sites to uh hide its fighters, to launch attacks on Israel.
2: But there, you know, there seems to be no evidence that there were any fighters in fact, you know, any presence of a, any kind of military presence uh, in the university itself. I mean, you keep saying that you want Israel not to destroy the infrastructure. Yet we have seen almost the total destruction of all infrastructure, including schools, hospitals, roads, you know. All of it. Cemeteries. You know, they just, you know, they, they excavated a the cemetery, for instance, and took bodies. I mean, th- they this is not organs. exactly uh, tell us in any way that the government of Israel is really paying heed to what you tell them, you know, in, in any way, by any measure. They're not listening
5: to you. So we have seen them take some steps uh, to avo- uh, to add civilian infrastructure to deconfliction sites. Um, there are right. other things that we have urged them to do that we want them to do better on. Uh, it is an ongoing conversation between our two governments, uh, and something that the secretary spoke w- directly with the leadership of Israel in his trip last week. But again. There is also this problem that uh, Hamas does continue to hide in and under civilian infrastructure. So when you see uh, a strike against any one mm-hmm. civilian, piece of civilian infrastructure, to assess the validity of that strike, you have to know what it is that was there. And we don't always know that, yeah. uh, when I'm, at least I don't know that when I'm speaking from yeah.
2: here. Based on uh, Said's question about the, the uh, demolition of the, the university, I don't know if you've seen the video pretty widely available, but it certainly looks, I mean, it looks like a controlled demolition. It looks like what we do here in this country when we're taking down an old hotel or a stadium, and you have nothing to say? You have nothing to say about this? I I mean, to do that kind of an explosion, you need to be in there, you have to put the explosives down, and it takes a lot of planning and preparation to do, and if there was a threat from this particular facility, they wouldn't have been able to do it.
5: So I have seen the video. Uh, I can tell you that it is something we uh, are raising with the governor of Israel, as we do often do uh, when we well, see raising when, as what, when, like, when we see to to ask questions and 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 find out what the underlying situation is, as we often do when we see reports of this nature. Um, but I'm not able to characterize the actual facts on the ground before hearing that that. But you
2: saw the video.
5: I did see the video. I don't. I don't, I, mean, know, I, don't like know, I don't know. A bil- being I don't know. Like that that.
2: I don't know what was under that
5: building. I don't know what was under that building. I don't know what. What was uh inside well, yeah, inside but, but it doesn't that matter building.
2: what was under the building because they obviously got in there to put the explosives down to, to, so, to you know, do, so do it in the way that they did uh,
5: again i'm i am i am glad you have factual certainty about. it. I just, I just don't. I don't. All I, I, I have was what do. I saw I, in the video, I just right? don't. And I think you guys but saw it But I can too. say, we did see it, and I can say that we have raised it with and the government Is it And it's not troubling Israel. to you? Uh, we are always troubled by the, by um, uh, any degradation of civilian infrastructure in Gaza, but without knowing the actual underlying circumstances. I'm a little hesitant, I think for reasons that should be understandable, to pass definitive judgment mm-hmm. on it from this podium.
0: I just, I can't, I can't, I couldn't do it. I would be kicked out of that job so fast. I'm just, it's impossible. Like, you know, Matt, I want, that's what I would say. And there'd be the last day in that office. I'd be like, you know, that would be like, I, I know, you know, that you, we know like that you're lying. Like we know each other. Like, it's just so funny that they know each, that we, we, they laugh back and forth about it. Like, it just kills me. He's so obviously playing this game. And the point is the deconfliction zones, they don't exist. As even some people in the corporate media begun pushing back in those interviews with with Elon Levy, which is his name, you know, that they they're using the U.S. provided dumb bombs in the areas designated as safe. It's painful. Right. And then, by the way, then I'll let you comment. And here is I don't want to play the music the video of this because uh, there's far too many people in my mind that are like mm-hmm. celebrating what happened here. And as much as there is some, a little bit of poetic justice to what's happening, I don't think we should celebrate that people died. I don't know how every IDF member agrees with what's going on in the bigger sense. Nonetheless, they sure as hell posted videos of them making these mines, you know, and, and laughing about it. Look at making little TikTok videos. You know, and these are the same people that, you know, were planting and, you know, and they ultimately die. You know,
1: I would add one thing. If you're mm-hmm. an armed combatant in a war zone and you're invading a territory and committing a genocide, uh, I would say there's every single legitimate argument to say that person should die. Just like an ISIS fighter should die, just like somebody who's going to commit a suicide bombing in a packed area and blow themselves up and blow civilians up and kill civilians. Uh, I have no problem. And I would... <clears throat> I would uh, be happy if a police officer took out a terrorist who was trying to blow themselves up in a packed area in a mall. Um, I would be happy to see that, um, just like I'm happy to see people who are committing genocide. This is personally no. Mm. Um, I'm happy to see people who are committing genocide be prevented from continuing their actions and to be pushed back and defeated. That's, that, yeah. that's personally, I get, sense I, trust it. me,
0: I get it. And you have every right more than anybody I know in the world right now, Washington, anybody that I well, yeah, anyone that I know in the world right now that, you know, that have a right to, to be to feel that way. My, my sentiment is simply that it's like you look at like from a US military perspective, which is probably the worst argument in the world, because it's one of the most obvious terroristic acting entities in the world I can see in the world. And that's as an American, I think that's obvious. Nonetheless, I think we all know there's a lot of Americans that find their way into that. that don't fully grasp what they're involved in. They don't really have the same hatred harbored that we know. So that's my, that's my only point. Trust me, I'm with you in the sense that they're acting in an illegal sense. So whether they're aware of it or not, they're still an e- instrument of what we're dealing with. And so you know, that's why I would say that there's a, this is a little bit of poetic justice, right? You're planting mm-hmm. mines in a civilian location, and the point is they acted. So at, at the way you should engage with it, in my opinion, would be to say that that was a legitimate attack from a persistent yeah. entity, right? There's, I think,
1: go ahead. That, that's that's my argument, is mm-hmm. that if these people are invading a concentration camp and coming and participating in a genocide, uh, it's a good thing if that threat is eliminated, just like yeah. if a terrorist is eliminated. That's my perspective. I view them, they're, they inflict more death they have a worse death toll, civilian death toll, that they inflict far worse than ISIS. Mm-hmm. So just as I would celebrate a terrorist threat in ISIS being eliminated so they can't kill more innocent people, in this case, I think it's justice when they are eliminated and that threat's eliminated. Yeah. I don't okay. like seeing people to die. I don't like it personally at all. However, if you're invading and you're, you've got a gun and you're coming and you're killing children and you're killing women and you're killing innocent men, I I have no uh, sympathy for these people. And I would say it's a great thing when those people are defeated and they're Mm. pushed out of those lands. Um, And I would say from my perspective, it's fully justified everything that's uh, done in terms of military action against a military target. Um, There's nothing illegitimate about that. And the Israelis try and humanize them and present them in a different light. And I understand my perspective is going to be slightly different from yours uh, because obviously I have family there and friends there. And I know who people have been... Uh, killed by these uh, terrorists, uh, in my opinion. Uh, But that's what they are to me. Um, Mm -hmm. That's that's the way I see them.
0: We're on the same page, man, like 99.9%. My only point is that it comes down to and I've said that I've actually even said this before. I think it had to do with an ISIS member situation or like things like like, uh, uh, you know, Guantanamo is that my mindset is even if, you know, I just it's just like it's all, it's more of like a like a line for me as opposed to me feeling necessarily driven to one side or the other. It's like a line that I this, oh, you know what? It's exact good analogies. we talked about the you met the. On Sorala movement, yeah, attacking those ships. Cause you know, I'm on the same. I'm on. I agree with everything. I'm just trying to take the line of saying, like, look, you know, legally, technically, you could argue they broke. But even then, you could argue the other side's breaking the law every day, anyway. And so there's like a an equivalence there. My point in this is that's like, I just have a hard time in any sense celebrating human life being ended. You know, but the whole point is that obviously what they're doing is a crime, right? And so I think the way it's being framed by Israel and the United States is some kind of terrorist act. Whether it was Hamas or not, it's just so disingenuous, right, from the top down. And so he, here is what, uh, I think, again, just to make sure I'm not saying his name incorrectly, because I, I was Levy is the the other woman that's involved with the the rape process. Yeah, his name is Elon Levy. This this is what he had to say about the 21 uh, IDF members. And grieves with the families. Ooh, that's it's really low. Reserves, huh? Czar, ah. That's too low. I'm going to skip that for the live shot. But uh, here, here's what he, what he wrote. He just said the most difficult. I wonder why that's coming across so low. The most difficult press briefing I've ever delivered started reading the names of the 24 IDF soldiers we lost in the last 24 hours. You know, I, I honestly also have a, kind of a hard time as you know, you're literally committing genocide. and and murdering 25 to 30,000 people over the last hundred days. And you're making this huge grandiose statement about people that were killed in the process of committing that genocide. Like it just, it's hard to feel any Go ahead. What are you going to say?
1: They were killed in the process of committing a war crime. Literally they're blowing up civilian infrastructure for no reason. It was a controlled demolition of civilian homes. So they were killed in the act of committing a war crime. Because you're not allowed to just go and blow people's homes up for no reason, just for fun. Right. Um, so, like, that's that's what happened to them, and then they glorify them. And this is why I, I said what I said. Um, when when they're killed, these soldiers in action, they're committing a genocide. They're committing war crimes. They're not innocent people. Right. These are not innocent people. They're a military target. So I think it's a good thing. When, when they're eliminated and they're stopped in the act from committing mm-hmm. a war crime, right. I don't think it's a good thing for human life to end. I wish this never happened. Exactly. I wish at, that everyone could point. live in peace and there could right. be no such thing as a, an armed conflict here. However, we live in a situation of war. And I, I fully get your argument and uh, the whole thing about um, the celebration of death and all of that. However, if you're a Palestinian... And you've lost your brother and your mother and you've seen them blown to bits, into pieces, and you've been pushed out of your home and you're starving and you see a video of that happening to the people who are doing it to you, you're not going to be a little bit happy. Right. It's not going to make you feel a little bit good to see that those people that did this to your family and did this to your home are now being caught in the act of doing it to someone else's home and, and oh. are, are made to pay the ultimate price. I Look. I I get it. Not everyone understands what they're going in to do, but many of these Israeli soldiers do. And they put Mm -hmm. out daily TikTok videos bragging about it. It's a society which 60% when polled, 60% of the Israeli Jewish public, because of course the Arab population doesn't agree with it. So they polled them separately. Um, They said that that it's not enough force. They want more force. They want more death. Mm -hmm. So if the society is that aware, and the army is making so frequent TikTok videos. You don't see this in the case of other wars, when the Americans and the British go into places. You'll have cases, various cases of war crimes and rape and horrible things happening. Um, I don't think anyone can dispute that. And every war you get that, you get people doing horrible things. That happens. But also then you have your portion of the army, and which don't know really why they're there, and they signed up for an army. In a different... Israel is literally from... Cradle to grave, raised on hatred of Arabs. They mm-hmm. hate Arabs. They hate Muslims. They they think that they need to kill them and they need to extinguish their life. And all their political parties uh, are all about this. They can't even accept the Labour Party anymore because they're Arab lovers. The current Israeli president, by the way, ran a campaign in 2015 to become Israeli prime minister. He failed, and in his own words... It Because he was portrayed to be an Arab lover, which is a terrible thing. He was commenting to a Labour uh, Party um, uh, conference uh, meeting that they were having. He said, you cannot be portrayed as an Arab lover. And you know what? During his own campaign, he ran an ad where literally he's uh, there is somebody talking about him. He knows the Arab from both sides, from from. Uh, through uh, the barrel of the gun and on the other side of the barrel of the gun. Literally, that's the ad, the campaign ad for him. And You can go and search that and and find that on Electronic Intifada. Um, You know, and that's the the moderate, the moderate Israeli president. Public campaign. He was an Arab lover. So this army... I don't accept the fact that the majority of them don't know what they're doing. I think they Mm. know what they're doing very well. And I think they like what they're doing because all the evidence points to it. And I think when we see those videos of them, like we did in the International Court of Justice, sharing, there's no innocence in Gaza. We're going to kill them like Amalek. And their leader is saying, kill them like Amalek. Slaughter the men, women, children, and the animals. And they all think like this. In this case, they are an army of essentially, in my view, legally they're not defined as such. But in my view, terrorists who are going there, committing war crimes and carrying out a genocide. So when they're uh, when they're killed in action whilst committing those acts, mm-hmm. it's a preventative measure. Now, if an Israeli noncombatant is killed, that's a different thing. It's a mm-hmm. different thing entirely. We're not talking about going and like, oh, it's a wonderful thing for an Israeli baby to get shot and killed. No, like nobody's celebrating that. Nobody's going to argue for that. Nobody's going to be, yes, it's wonderful for a non-combatant, but if it's an armed soldier are. who's are. aware of what he's doing and committing a war crime, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm not one to get up and party and, and post you right, know right. videos on, online I'll- about partying about it. However, I understand why people would be happy about it, and I think it's a good thing when the threat is eliminated. Uh, mm-hmm. When they're committing a genocide and committing war crimes, I don't think there's a bad thing when that happens. I think it's good that that uh, that threat is eliminated. Personally, that's my mm-hmm. personal point of view.
0: Oh, I think I think you're very clear on, and I think in in, in you know, an, even from a moral perspective, I think what you're saying is very understandable. To, to put the best fine point on it, you made a point throughout that that I think is the best way to look at it. Is like you said. And I, you, you could I, it's always you're going to find extreme levels of any side of the argument and anything you look at. But in a general sense, I agree that for the most part, from a Palestinian perspective, like you're saying, it's like, look, we don't want to be in this position. We're not actively seeking out this conflict, but you brought this to our doorstep. So we are going to respond. Right. And so the point is, in that sense, yes. But if, if it was put to you, that's the last thing that you would want. And I think that's the best way to look at it is, uh, look, if someone breaks into my door my home and threatens my family you're damn right i'm going to act with violence right that's that's the and that's even from like a libertarian perspective like there is legitimate moments to act in just in defense or even attack for your self-defense i think that's also an important point there is no such thing as self-defensive attack you're attacking but in the sense of maybe that attack will help you defend yourself but it's not a defensive attack i'm so tired of this preemptive self-defense nonsense that even the u.s is now using in regard to yemen which maybe I know since you let me know if you have to get out of here. Maybe we can talk about Yemen before you have to leave. Before well, before we get to that, I'll just finish off this one segment here that just there's other points that I think. So you have people arguing, you know, why did 21 soldiers die? Because the idea of cares about Gaza civilians so much that they went in by foot, you know, only after 45 days of mass. You know, it's like these arguments are so independent of the reality. Like that's the opposite of what's been happening. But so I'll include this. I won't go through it for time. But uh, Knox Bilal here kind of breaks down in the thread the reality, in my opinion, right? That the reason it happened is because they were lining these with mines, and it goes over like the dynamic of it. And the point is, it's illegal, as I think you really well laid out right there. Um, this is just one that I actually didn't mean to include, but since I showed it, just this is a, ra- a rabbi. Abraham Zerbeev, an Israeli military officer, who says, and you can listen to it for yourself, that they will make Gaza go through the biblical 10 plagues as Jews did back in Egypt. Like, let's not pretend like there's not an all of Palestine mentality here where all of them need to suffer and so on. In Khan Yunus in general, you're seeing this, this goes into the bombings we were seeing and the controlled demolitions. A lot of it's now being focused on the very location that they were told to go to, to be safe. And now it's exploding in this area. And I, we showed you this a moment ago. These are all their controlled demolitions that you have. They're publicly and proudly discussing what they're doing. That name an entire residential block. So think about the timing it would take to lay all of those explosives in an entire residential block. And then pretend like you don't know that it's completely devoid of anything that's a threat. Right? This one was uh, uh, just uh, uh, in the con units. Again, multiple locations of controlled demolition. We sh- and I showed you these ones already. So let's get into... Well, you tell me. We, how much time do you have left, brother?
1: Um, I can stay until the top of the hour, I think. That would okay, be five, five minutes? Bit. Okay. Yeah. So, let, let's see. <laughs> Roughly uh, around there. We'll try it. I'll, inc- I'll,
0: I'll include all this for everyone to look at. These are just more clips about Con Yunus showing you their storming clinics, making these little, putting out these little plant detonators in Con Yunus around schools that look like cans for their children, that it's just disgusting stuff like this that is happening. Very clearly, deliberately aimed at Innocent people, and then you know mosques and mil. And as I briefly mentioned before, they this I've I've gone over the history of stealing organs, which is a, a, an open discussion from Israeli military and and you know like even like the medical field. They are destroying both uh, this mosques are showing, but also graveyards. Right, I think that's really important, and I think there's a lot more to that. But uh, yeah, let's let's finish with the discussion of. Oh, yeah, I was going to do the hostages. Damn it. I wish we had more time with Yemen, since I know this is an important topic. And maybe maybe after you jump off, I'll, I'll briefly talk about the hostage situation. So look, give me your quick take on, on where you where we're at with this. Right. And and where you think this will ultimately go, because I know we have a limited time. I think this is actually really important. And some, of, I'll, I will direct them to some of your recent work that I think is outstanding on you know, that this is really just an attack on the Yemeni state and that ultimately Yemen seems to be the only state apparatus truly standing up for Palestine.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what it is. And because they've stood up for Palestine, we're seeing that they're being punished now. Um, and every day now they're launching airstrikes. Yesterday, I believe they launched 40 different guided uh, munitions uh, at uh, different areas, including in, the, uh, in Yemen's capital city. Um, and so we're seeing that they're striking Yemeni territory every day, um, that they have killed uh, Yemenis, uh, including those Ansar Allah uh, members who were on uh, uh, boats as well in the Red Sea. Uh, they struck three of them and killed 10. And then in airstrikes, they killed five more. Huh. And the Yemeni forces. They didn't go and kill civilians. They weren't going and attacking ships that were not related to their specific target. They said, we're imposing a blockade on the Israelis. Mm -hmm. That's what we're doing. And they imposed the blockade very successfully. And they didn't need a deep water Navy to do it or anything like that. They did it with drone technology and missiles. And they've successfully been able to do it. The Americans came along. And by the way, you'll see that that Elon, Elon Levy guy, that spokesperson for October 7th, October seventh, spokesperson. But the spokesperson for Israel's ongoing genocide is more accurate. Right. Um. He he said he was interviewed and he said uh, that they're blocking the Suez Canal and they're blocking international trade and tried to make this a thing uh, uh, not to do with Israel. It's everything to do with Israel. Ships right. actually pass and put on this tag, not Israel affiliated, and they right. can go through the Suez. <laughs> Some companies have stopped going for the Red Sea altogether because of the danger aspect. Obviously, it's expensive. Um. And the U.S. has its warships there now. So it's made it even more dangerous because Mm -hmm. the U.S. and the U.K. have put warships there and they launched this Operation Prosperity Guardian uh, uh, mission without the U.N. Security Council uh, approval to militarize that area of the world. They just did it. And then afterwards they got a UNSC uh, resolution, which was passed condemning uh, Ansarullah for their actions. Um, but it's it's very clear uh, what's going on here. And it's very clear that the they could stop it. They could stop this blockade in a minute. They could just let aid into Gaza. If they let sufficient aid come into Gaza, they'll, they'll allow them to do it. But Yemen says, we have been blockaded. We have been starved. We've lost 400,000 of our people to starvation and disease and airstrikes. In our country, and we had the worst humanitarian crisis in the world until what happened in Gaza uh, started unfolding. Mm -hmm. We know what it's like, and we will not let the people in Gaza die alone. We will stand with them no matter the cost. And that is exactly what they're saying. And it's an honorable uh, moral position. Legally speaking, they argue that because Israel's committing genocide, they're taking the action that any state should take to prevent genocide by p- imposing an economic blockade uh, from it, this route.
0: Is it not exactly what the U.S. government does in an illegal sense, but claiming they're doing it for the right reasons all over the world? Right on mm-hmm. Yemen, for example, with Saudi Arabia. You know, it's like it's just so yeah. wildly hypocritical the way that they frame this. It's just because they disagree. The, on the map, you're seeing the you know the general area here that I think if you, if you don't understand the dynamic. Is you know you got the Suez Canal right up here, Bab el Mandeb Strait right down here, and then the Strait of Hormuz over here. Now they're all very very important choke points, and through that triangle, effectively they've shut down. I mean, I, as I understand it, it's been wildly effective in what Israel's able to now bring through, and so there it's being crippling. It is crippling. You know, uh, but are you? Do you have any insight on on what happened with basically the, the long and short of it is that they. Because of U.S. actions, they then expanded their actions out to both U.S. and U.K. vessels as well. And recently there was an attack on, you know, attack is a strong word, I think, because as you said, they're not killing anybody. They're just Mm -hmm. basically warding them away using missiles and so on and drones. But that they had attacked the Ocean Jazz U.S. carrier, which was proven to have all sorts of military equipment that, that, and th- this, it, it, you know, so ultimately, I can't tell whether this was meant for Israel or not. It was going the other direction, I think. But you have any insight on what happened with that?
1: Uh, well, they hit it. And uh, the, the purpose of these strikes, um, number one is they're, they're retaliatory to different mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to U.S. And, and U.K. targets, because the U.K. and U.S. are actually committing um, aggression and, and declared war essentially on on Yemen. That's what they did. And they committed a violation of their sovereignty by launching the first uh, round of strikes was over 100 precision missile strikes Mm. against different targets throughout Yemen. Um, Of course, Yemen never attacked them. There is nothing to warrant this. Um, And they didn't uh, have the approval of Congress or Parliament. Uh, to do it. Now they have this pseudo-legal jargon, which they throw out. Oh, we sent a warning, a written warning, and there's this emergency legislation or whatever. But the reality of it is they didn't consult uh, Congress or Parliament, the UK and US, for their actions. And so uh, the Ansar Law are responding, but you'll note that the Ansar Law, when they respond, like, for instance, in this case, they'll use suicide drones and missiles to hit ships, but they're not killing people. Their aim is not to kill people. Their aim is to stop the ship and to inflict damage on the ship which would be an economic cost they want to incur an economic cost so that's the primary objective there um and it's very clear what they're doing and uh they're doing it uh, with great ease really and the u.s and uk are unable to detect where these strikes are actually coming from they can't target the locations from which they come um and and it's been very very effective uh, yeah. So so far, that's what we've seen—an extremely effective uh, blockade, which has been inflicted the first ever without actually having a proper navy. Because Yemen, it yeah. has naval vessels, but it doesn't have a proper deep sea water navy or anything like this. Um, you know, this is very expensive, and Yemen, you know, being under this intense blockade, um, has not been able to, you know, m- muster up enough funds to, you know, purchase uh, these new. Uh, you know, naval vessels, Uh, the likes of Iran could conduct something like that. But Iran has a similar strategy of speedboats, for instance, and then Mm -hmm. using suicide drones and and missiles um, and torpedoes. And so uh, what this shows and this sets a precedent is that Iran can definitely, definitely block the Strait of Hormuz if it wants to. And if it does, international, uh, uh, (laughs) the trade, uh, the oil economy, Mm-hmm. Say goodbye to it.
0: Well, and this so doesn't this just speak to. The, oh, sorry.
1: Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead.
0: Well, it doesn't just speak to the point that we've both been making for such a long time that, you know, this is why the geostrategic control of this area was so clearly important to the point to where they were willing to starve an entire country for 10 years to try to force them to give up control of the el Mandeb Strait. It shows you exactly why, because these <laughs> choke points. When, with Iran holding, the, you know, being able to enforce the Strait of Hormuz, with Yemen cl- seemingly with the help—I mean, I don't want to say with the help, but Oman seems to have pushed back in its own way to that similar control. Now they, you know, the Bab el mandib Strait, and now with, I, you know, with uh, using, I guess, the drone and missile technology effectively shutting down the ability to come through the Suez Canal, I mean, they're, they are showing that they don't need all the technology. They don't need all of the actual military presence. And that's clearly why they've been so desperately trying to do this. And it just shows you that it stems from an an illegitimate standpoint. And the bigger point you made there is that Yemen has made one demand. Ceasefire. Stop what you're doing and we will back away. Now think about how incredible it is for them to stay. well, we're just going to keep doing that and then pretend like you're the one. It's the same thing they're doing over here with Hamas. Like you're murdering people and saying Hamas's fault. You are choosing not to stop a genocide and saying it's Yemen's fault for continuing what you could stop with one action. It's just Mm -hmm. it's and good. You know, the world sees this. Would you agree with that? Do you feel that the world is truly seeing this the way we
1: are? Absolutely. And then look at what the cost is, the the cost uh, of keeping the the, uh, that naval fleet there, that multinational Mm. coalition there. Um, And many states have seen and that's why the likes of France withdrew. They were like, this is a stupid idea and it's going to result in embarrassment and it's going to incur massive costs uh, on our economy at a time when we don't want to handle that. Uh, So, you know, it's ridiculous from every sense, but you know what this goes back to? And I, I really do think it's like, we're dealing with people in these elitist types who have like a narcissistic personality disorder, but it's like on, you know, on a mass level, all these people have it. And it's like a collective narcissistic personality disorder where it's like, no one else can possibly be independent in their narrative of themselves in the world. Only they exist. Everyone's part of their narrative narrative and part of their story. No one can step out of line. And for them, they stereotype the people of Yemen and the people of Gaza. And they think these savages, these people, these are poor people. These people, they're backwards. They're not civilized like us. They could never do anything like this. And, Because they have this image in their heads of these people, they think, how could they possibly blockade us? How could they possibly fight back? How could they foil our plans? We have this big agenda. And the the only response they have is a violent one because Mm -hmm. they can't possibly bring themselves to accept that you need to do diplomacy. You can't just be, you know, this narcissistic, psychopathic uh, racist. Um, that just goes around and goes we are better than you we're superior we have a superior civilization that doesn't work like there's a physical there's a group that is physically imposing a blockade with drones and missiles and and you can take one action they're giving you the option stop a genocide if you stop a genocide and you create a ceasefire hey or if you just let aid in so the people don't starve to death there's four hundred thousand people starving to death right now in gaza if you just do that if you just do that We'll stop. No, we have to launch airstrikes. Do we know where the airstrikes are going? There's that clip of Biden going around. Is it going to stop the Houthis? No. (laughs) Is it going to continue? Yes. It's like they have no aim. And the Mm -hmm. Israelis are the same in Gaza. They don't have a war plan. They're just bombing for the sake of bombing, invading for the sake of invading and killing and just hoping that they find uh their prisoners, which are held, and just killing everything in sight. There's I, again, no national thinking here.
0: Again, I flatly disagree. I, It's my opinion, but I think the Hannibal Directive has been proven out explicitly by their own statements by a colonel and multiple people. I don't. I think they're actually deliberately trying to make sure that they don't get those people to come home. Every single one of them has been a big problem for them. But really quickly, because mm-hmm. I know you have to go, I would say that I disagree with you. I think that they are effective against themselves their narrative has somehow absorbed into their own mindset and they're buying the lies they're trying to push on the world their own hubris has become their worst enemy and i think that's an important thing to look at lastly megatron's pointing out that the parliament of yemen has officially declared both the us and uk governments as global terrorists so there's a little bit of a dose of your own medicine right as much as it's still kind of hyperbolic and ridiculous it's you know it's the same thing they're doing back in reverse so I find it very interesting. So we'll leave it there, brother. And I'm, I'll jump over and finish the hostage conversation after you jump off. But it's good to talk with you, man. And I, I know people value your opinion. I know that they value your balanced perspective on this. And I just, you know, I appreciate your work. And uh, I, I, I have another article coming up from you that I'll probably publish today or tomorrow. So keep an eye out for that. Anything you want to leave us with before you uh, jump off?
1: No, just thank you for having me. And uh, I'll I'll say this, like I can't claim to be fully objective on this, but in my reporting, I will state the facts and it will be very clear when I'm giving my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can't pretend to not have emotion on this because uh, this is my family and my friends that are being killed and subjected to acts of genocide. Um, So (laughs) uh, forgive me if uh, I have emotion on this. I don't believe, I, I also, I think as journalists, as journalists, Sometimes we have to cast moral judgment and we have to act based upon uh, what we believe is just, what we believe is right. Um, And sometimes that can lead to mistakes. However, you know, that's what this uh, entire uh, channel is about as well. And this is what our work is about as independent outlets and independent journalists, is that we want everyone to question everything. That's the motto here. Um, we want everybody to, you know, come to their own conclusions because at the end of the day, not everyone can be a hundred percent non-biased. I don't think that's possible to be completely objective. Everyone has their objective experience. So I, I promise, uh, you know, in my work, to give the facts um, and not to lie and not to distort. Um, and I will give my opinion. My opinion is going to be there, uh, but I try and make that very clear. And like for instance today. I said very clearly what my opinion is when it comes to the Israeli soldiers mm-hmm. um, in, in uh, times of war and, and what my opinion there is, uh, because I want people to know that's not something that uh, I'm trying to say is an argument under international law. No, that's how I feel. Um, right. And that's what I feel as a moral take. Um, so that that is how I'd, I'd leave our discussion uh, today. Um, and yeah, uh, thanks to everybody who is on here as well, watching and um, supporting, and uh, I hope they will support this work more. And thank Absolutely. you for having me back.
0: Yeah, well, we got to do more often, brother. I think it's important. So thank you, internet, we'll uh, we'll talk soon. So uh, I, I think it's important in general, guys, that, I mean, it's it's self-evident. Robert's work is self-evident. He's an obviously objective and intelligent person. We all, as he's pointing out, have emotion. We have passion. But the point is being able to acknowledge that and work in an objective way as best we can, even during times like that. And I think, you know, I think emotions important. I mean, I get emotional about things all the time. It's very few people, in my opinion, that can actually manage that. But so let, let's let's finish with just one more segment that I wanted to get to today that, that I actually I was hoping we could have, get Robert's take on it in general. But uh, let, let's go to this ultimate topic to finish us off today. Eli David put this out, and I just I'm, I'm so infuriatingly tired of this kind of deliberate misrepresentation, which happens every time in any kind of a war setting, usually from both sides. We've seen this really interesting dynamic of specifically these like talking ahead people on social media that just regurgitate the same talking points. And that was actually a point that I was making to start today about the twenty-one. 21- IDF members, which you can see right here it's just you know on levy IDF count. I mean just every single one of them comes out with the same kind of package sentiment and and regurgitates it what, what i'm not even ex- explicitly stating whether it's true or not sometimes that can be the truth It's still interesting though that it's very formulaic. Same kind of thing here. Now, first of all, we've been talking and keeping you up to date on what's actually been going on regarding the the offers back and forth. Egypt's been trying to work its way back into being a kind of a mediator in between situation. But weirdly, they continue to work with Qatar, which I think is interesting, seeing as how, as I've told you many times, they've made a statement to not even deal with them at this point when the leadership. The ones that this very account here will point at and say, they're all billionaires because Hamas steals and they're okay with that. Even though we can prove as their own statements, they funded Hamas to stop the Palestinian state. And then where do you think that money comes from? Who do you think controls the flow of goods through? Like they're making sure the leadership stays protected. I think that's very telling. Any case, he writes, breaking Hamas rejected Israeli offer for ceasefire in return for freeing hostages. And you know what this always comes back to? The reality that they're offering a full ceasefire for full exchange and Israel doesn't even barely even considers this immediately pushes back, which I commented down below. And then there's some faulty, half hearted response of here's a three day ceasefire for this many people and we'll go right back to fighting. And they say, well, that's ridiculous. Nobody's asking for some temporary pretend pause to just go right back to murdering the people that you gave a little bit of food to the point is they're trying to seek a full exchange, which by the way is what Israel is claiming they're seeking, but they're not. And so here's what I said. I simply said liar and pointed out what Solomon Ahmed pointed out, which by the way, they recently tried to censor, but got effectively brought back. It says we can, and this is, Netanyahu's official statement rejecting U.S. Egypt peace deal proposal. And again, this is involving Egypt because they are trying, they are actively trying to work through it back into the process. It says we continue the war on all fronts and in all sectors. This is Netanyahu. We do not give immunity to any terrorist, except when they do, though. <laughs> Whether it's Al Qaeda or even Hamas, where they fund them, work with them, or give them a temporary pause. Is not isn't that not a moment to you know, the, the sentiment, the sentiment to begin was we do not deal with terrorists because the point was we're never going to have this agreement until the people of Israel forced them to accept the deal that was there from day one and acting like it was new. This is the same thing that's been happening. But it says, not in Gaza, not Lebanon, not Syria, not anywhere. Whoever tries to harm us, we harm him. Regarding our abductees, we have so far returned 110 of the abductees home, and we are committed to returning all of them. No, there's a, this is a provable lie. Their Hannibal Directive has been active since the moment this started, and their own people have admitted this now. Very, very clearly. I think I have some of these here to go over today. I forget if I brought them up. Yeah, I'll play this clip for you in a second. This, it's kind of an overview breakdown of the exact point. But it says, it, this is one of the objectives of the war. Right, to to what, to bomb them to safety? I don't see exactly how you argue bombing where they may be held is somehow actively keeping them safe. Their own people do not think this. And I'll show you that clip as well, where they raided the Knesset saying, you're murdering our people, bring our people home. They know very clearly what they're doing. And these, in many cases, are Israelis who actively want to see Gaza destroyed, but yet still argue for a ceasefire to get their people home first, because they're not stupid. They can very clearly see that the objective has nothing to do with saving them. And even if you think that, it's hurting them up until you can kill enough Hamas to then pretend you can take them home after all of the smoke go- clears. That It's it's self-evident. They don't care about the people that are there. It's, at the best, a secondary objective. But he says, I work around the clock. But to be clear, oh, wait, this was, uh yeah, anyway, so I work around the clock. He says, but to be clear, I, I reject outright the terms of surrender of the monsters of Hamas. In exchange for the release of our hostages, Hamas demands the end of the war. See the point? The withdrawal of our forces from Gaza and the release of all the murdering rapists, and which, by the way, they mean all of the kids and, and, and many in many cases just randomly detained people without any charge that have been held for years. The UN, Amnesty, Human Rights Watch, they've all covered this. It's been forced out into the public because of what happened. And the, what they're doing is framing them all as rapists and murderers, even though they've never even charged most of them with a crime. How does that work out? Only democracy in a complete lie. He says, if we agree to this, our warriors fell in vain. You mean the 21 soldiers that were just killed while committing war crimes? Like, this is the kind of manipulation. In any case, in each of time, the point is that he is simply rejecting a proposal because bad guys. When the argument is that we're only going after Hamas, except what you're doing is a wholesale attack on all of Palestinians. It's pretty damn obvious to me. Now, this was... what Kirby recently said about how a ceasefire only benefits Hamas. I think this is a really important point to think about. And as the person said in the in the, the tweet, well, what about all the children that would immediately stop being, you know, stop suffering during that ceasefire? Now, you can argue that that would benefit Hamas, right? But at the same time, you have to realize that it would also benefit the people who are no longer being killed—the very same people that you're otherwise screaming, Kirby, that Israel's trying to keep safe. But listen to this set. Listen to this statement and ask yourself how these things line up. Kirby is a coward and a liar. If you need no other evidence than this video itself.
4: General
6: ceasefire?
4: Yes. For the same reason
5: that we have in the past, we don't believe a ceasefire um, is going to be to the
0: benefit of anybody uh, but Hamas. Wow. Wow. I mean, that really is kind of staggering. And as they said, so 1.1 million children in Gaza are considered nobody. Sorry about that. Hit a start button there on YouTube. I think that's pretty absurd. And so the bottom line is from the U.S. perspective, they're arguing that a ceasefire benefits nobody but Hamas, which means that they're not going to agree to this in any sense. So let me let me get this straight, John Kirby. So if you do agree to what Israel even report half-heartedly and disingenuously retorted with which was a temporary game so just are you are you now saying that israel is offering a beneficial situation to hamas and to what end then so that would mean the argument is they're doing that that benefits hamas because they care more about the people well then why doesn't that apply to this exact situation right now because it's a game of words and lies and all they're really doing is exactly what they're telling you they're doing displacing people for the benefit of occupation of the area, continued occupation, more so resettlement of the area, and completely at the expense of the entirety of Palestine. There's really no way to misunderstand this. Now, if you don't see that the hostage side of this is just more of the manipulation, here is an example. Let me see if this... Oh, yeah, so this isn't in uh, English, so it really doesn't matter to, to grab the video for you. Here is... Oh, you can see it. That's right. I still have it up. So... As Dan writes, one day after Netanyahu rejected a ceasefire, again, after he rejected a ceasefire, families of captives in Gaza, of the captives held in Gaza, stormed the Knesset to demand an immediate deal. Look at these people, guys. These are the people that your media in the U.S. are telling you are fighting to continue the war in Gaza. It says you will sit here while our children die. As Dan Cohen writes, and I agree, the Israeli government is sacrificing its own people. Look at what they're doing. These are the people that they're showing you and acting like they're we're all fighting against them by acting for a ceasefire. These are the Israeli Jews pushing back against their government because they're telling you you're letting our children die. And then Netanyahu stands up and acts like what they're doing is a defense of these people. It's painful to watch. Do you think they care? And let's not forget, guys, how many people have we talked about coming back and saying we were afraid of your bombings killing us and then you telling people Hamas killed us? That's their people coming back from being kidnapped and telling you they were more afraid of the IDF. You just can't misunderstand this. And then we have this important video Israel wants to kill the hostages. I 100% agree with this. Now, at the beginning, I was much more. I was just, I just wasn't certain about it. So rightly so, I was concerned about stating that as much because I think it's important. But with all of the evidence, if you, I mean, there's no, like, like, you could always question, as we always should. Is it possible we're missing something? Is it possible there's more to the story? They're all, that's always a possibility. But the main point to make here is with the amount of evidence that we have, from people that were there, from people involved with the process, from the colonel on the record saying this was a mass Hannibal, to people at the security head of the Kibbutz area, people from the concert, people who recovered from being a hostage, people that were in the homes being bombed, people who were driving the tanks, people who got out of the tanks and shot their guns, all of them telling you that they fired on innocent people. <laughs> and we And again, and then you've got people in the military admitting this was a mass Hannibal that, by the way, is still ongoing. Because the point is, these people are inconvenient for what they're trying to accomplish. If you can't wrap your mind around that, along with all of the evidence, you don't want to understand this. And I think that's what's important. So you can't pretend like they care about these people when they're actively taking action, that at the very least puts them in further danger, let alone
6: tries to kill them. Have been told that Israel wants to save the hostages. captured on October 7th. But what if you've been lied to? What if Israel's war cabinet has no intention of saving you? An investigative journalist made a bombshell discovery. Filmmaker and journalist Dan Cohen acquired secret recordings of the Netanyahu government pressuring Israeli families to sacrifice their children in Gaza in order for the genocide to continue so that Israel can conquer and colonize Gaza good. Stick around because I'm about to reveal the sickening details of this explosive investigation that confirms Israel's policy of sacrificing their own people. And you'll be surprised to hear that this theory is supported by prominent Israelis and has been reported by Israeli media. Yes, you heard that right. Israeli media. Now, I'm sure you've heard about the controversial Hannibal Directive, which is the Israeli doctrine of killing their own people to prevent the Palestinians from using them as bargaining chips during negotiations and prisoner swaps. The Hannibal Directive is a doctrine of sacrifice named after the Carthaginian general, who was one of the single greatest threats to Rome to ever live. For years, Hannibal delivered blow after humiliating blow to the Roman Empire. And even after the fall of of Carthage, Hannibal swore an oath of revenge, so the Romans chased Hannibal across the world, hoping to capture him. But when they got close to doing just that, Hannibal decided he would rather die than allow himself to be captured, and so swallowed a vial of poison that he always kept with him just for such a situation. Israel sees killing its own citizens in much the same way, so as to deny their enemies any leverage during negotiations. Now, while it was speculated by many in the aftermath of October 7th that Israel implemented the Hannibal Directive, it has now become crystal clear, even irrefutable, through Israeli media, no less, that Israel had done exactly that. No al
2: Ufal כי ברגע שיש
6: but what if I told you this mass Hannibal is still happening? That it has been happening every day since October 7th? What if I told you that a major aim of the genocide in Gaza was in fact the continuation of this mass Hannibal? On January 15th, the Palestinians released a video of Israeli hostage Noah argermani Noah says that she had been injured in an Israeli airstrike and was trapped under the rubble for two whole days. She also says that two other Israeli hostages had been killed by Israeli strikes, one buried underneath a rubble and the other in a moving ambulance in Gaza. She implored Netanyahu to stop this madness and bring us home to our families. But these aren't the only Israeli hostages who have been killed or injured. According to Hamas, nearly 60 hostages have been killed by Israeli strikes. Several Israeli hostages released by Hamas have described the terror of being held in Gaza, unsure of whether or not they'd be killed by their own
1: government. An
6: Israeli sociologist and military expert, Yagil Levy told the Israeli newspaper Haaretz that Israel is indeed trying to carry out a mass Hannibal. The government's decision to attack Gaza despite the presence of hostages in the bombed sites can be considered an extension of the Hannibal procedure, that is, an attempt to thwart the continuation of the captivity even at the cost of risking the lives of the hostages. The obvious explanation is that the right perceives the pressure to stop the fighting as endangering the pursuit of victory and revenge in Gaza. And therefore, the lives of the abductees are another reasonable sacrifice that must be made. A reasonable and necessary sacrifice to justify the Gaza genocide. Gilad Shalit was a captured Israeli soldier that the Palestinians traded for over 1,000 Palestinians. In an interview with the Israeli media outlet Shomrim, an unnamed figure who was involved in the Gilad Shalit exchange said that Israel was invoking the Hannibal Directive. He says, Hamas expected this to be a repeat of the Shalit case. They thought that they would kidnap Israelis and that we would cave in. But the state of Israel has implemented the Hannibal Directive on the whole of the Gaza Strip. Now, as you can imagine, the families of the hostages are not happy about this. They want their loved ones to be brought home. They're angry, and they have been organizing massive demonstrations, calling on Netanyahu to strike a deal and end the war to save their loved ones and live up to their promise of bringing them home, which was supposedly a key objective for Israel in this war. And some of the demonstrators are former hostages themselves. And so Netanyahu has been gaslighting the families of these hostages to convince them to sacrifice their own children so that he can achieve his political ambition of conquering Gaza and ethnically cleansing the Palestinians from it. You see, to Netanyahu and his cabinet, the families of the hostages are nothing but an obstacle that stands in the way of Israel's genocide in Gaza. But more importantly to him, they are endangering his political career. In a private meeting between Netanyahu and the family of the hostages, several far right-wing extremists whose family members were also taken hostage Were brought in to try and convince everyone else that their pain should be set aside for the greater interests of the Israeli state. One of these far-right wing extremists, Ohad Zvi Lapidot, addressed the families. This is a secret audio recording of that exchange. Outraged, a mother of one of the hostages responded.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
6: what Lepidot said next set fire to the room. Now, as you can clearly tell, there is division amongst the families. Yet, after the meeting, the far-right-wing extremist family members, in support of Netanyahu, sacrificing their children for conquest, went outside and spoke directly to the media, pretending to represent all of the families that had met with Netanyahu. I told
4: everyone, I also love my son. But if I have to choose between my son,
6: between my son's son and my son's son, I choose with my son's son. We're calling the curse. We're now calling the curse. By dividing the families and using guilt to dissuade them from standing in his way and then lying to both the public and the media, Netanyahu seeks to maintain his position that Gaza must be completely wiped off the map. This PSYOP, this lie, this betrayal of the families of the hostages of the Israeli citizenry who are nothing but pawns to Israeli leadership is how Netanyahu has been able to convince Israeli society to continue the war. Ever since this PSYOP Took place, Netanyahu's war cabinet has implemented a mass Hannibal policy in Gaza, wiping out their hostages and removing all obstacles to the ethnic cleansing and genocide of the Palestinian people. In one case, the IDF used poison gas to kill an Israeli hostage, being held in an underground tunnel. In a chilling social media post, the mother of the murdered hostage said her son crushed his fingers trying to dig his way out of the tunnel before choking to death on the poisonous gas. She rightly asks, If it were Netanyahu's son being held hostage, would the IDF have acted so recklessly? She went on to say that, There is no future for this country after what they did to you. This poor mother raises an important point. What is the point of establishing a safe home for the Jews and expanding your territory through conquest for your own people if you have to murder your own people to achieve it? There is so much more in this bombshell investigation conducted by Dan Cohen. So check out the link to his article. And remember, we all know that the algorithm censors and bans content like this. So we need your help to spread the word. Support our ongoing investigations. Free Palestine.
0: And here is a many, one of a few that actually covered this. 60 hostages killed, which, by the way, as he said, has been confirmed, not the exact number, but by people coming home saying that they watched this happen. Right. So you could argue that they're embellishing the number, but realize that this is where this problem is going to get even worse when Israel gets to the point to where they argue that Hamas is withholding people that they've already killed. While, for example, they continue to pretend that the Bibas family is still alive, despite the fact that their own father has said that they were killed by ADF bombings who is still held hostage, by the way. So why are they still pretending like they are being held and that we want them home when they know well, and they even offered their bodies back during the last pause, which I argue was the reason they broke it short. Either way, 60 different people have been killed, and it shows you that they really do not care about who is being hurt to gain what they want. Here's what he was referencing. I just did a recent show on this. Israeli military killed a captive, Ron Sherman, with poison gas, according to his mother and is arguing that they are covering it up. Here's a a video on the Hannibal Directive in general that you can watch. Actually, you know what we can do, actually. We could just end with this video. But before we get there, this is the kind of stuff that we're dealing with, and I mentioned this this morning as well. Tiberius points out, so uh, Ireland's prime minister has said, I would be a bit uncomfortable about accusing Israel, a Jewish state, of genocide, given the fact that 6 million Jews were killed. Like what kind of ridiculous? And here's a, you can read this for yourself. So regardless of your sentiment and stance on on the the legitimacy and the number and what happened in the Holocaust, the idea being that because this thing happened, therefore no matter how severe, therefore you just are sent. You're worried about accusing them of something that is being proven. The idea that that's even that it shows you the way that that is abused. And the way that these things are used to manipulate and the things that are currently falling apart in front of us, the allegation that anything against Zionism is automatically against Jewish people or that accusations of the Israeli government and their legal crimes in a political sense are somehow because you hate the state of Israel and Jews. It's not working anymore. Always. There's been an overlap in any sense. There's going to find people that are extremists that hate people for no reason. But we also can obviously see that it's legitimate to point out that the Israeli government, or any government for that matter, are committing crimes. Same point as always, it's not somehow anti-Christian to point out that the U.S. government are committing war crimes. The same point applies. And we'll end with this video in general so you guys can check this out. So thank you for tuning in today. And I always enjoy having Robert on. I think it's a very insightful discussion. He is very, very well versed on this and I very much appreciate his objectivity or I'd rather just say his honesty about, in his opinion, he would argue that there's a lack of object. I, I don't think he's, I think he's one of the most objective people in this or any other topic, in my opinion. And that's why I want to work with him, even in a position that he's in. And I've made that point many times. There are people far less objective than, than him that have no stake in this game at all. So I think it's important to continue to support his work and, you know, have him on as much as possible to be able to talk about these foreign policy discussions. But I will leave you with this clip about the Hannibal Directive, and we will be following up on a lot of this stuff. And there's a lot of other things we could have gotten into today, but both foreign policy and the other conversations we've been having. I have a few things coming up here soon. Other interviews we'll be doing, so keep your eyes peeled for that. And if you'd like to continue to support this platform, all the links down below are there for you to support us. Most importantly, just get the link out. The conversation shared, have your conversations about the material with your friends, your family, and discuss this stuff in an amicable, calm, and you know, understanding difference of opinions type of way where you can walk away going, It's okay that we disagree. Hopefully, you don't. Hopefully, you can acknowledge the facts and look at the information. My point is, discuss this stuff, don't just take narratives and share, have conversations, discuss differences of opinion, and flesh these things out. That's important to any real you know, whatever you want to call it, any real society that cares about the truth. So thank you for tuning in today, and we'll see you soon. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.
4: Is Israel applying the Hannibal Directive to captives and hostages in the Gaza Strip? Hannibal Directive is a classified Israeli military protocol which calls for use of all necessary means to prevent the abduction of its own forces, even at the price of killing them. It has been used multiple times in the past decade, most notably in the 2014 capture of Israeli soldier Hadar Golden. Taken into a tunnel near Rafah, Israel unleashed massive firepower, killing him and more than 130 Palestinians. The Hannibal Directive was also widely implemented on October 7th in order to prevent captives from being taken into Gaza. Not only soldiers, but civilians. Numerous Israelis who have since been released from captivity said that Israeli bombing was the greatest threat to their lives.
1: No so,
3: what scared you? From the booms around that the IDF doesn't know our location, suddenly a missile would
1: hit. On December fifteenth.
4: Israeli forces killed three Israeli captives who were shirtless and held a white flag. On January 15th, captive Noah Argamani said two others were killed in airstrikes. One former captive told Benjamin Netanyahu, I was in a house surrounded by explosions, We slept in tunnels, and we feared that not Hamas, but Israel might kill us, and then it would have been said Hamas killed you." It seems impossible to consider them accidental, but are they actually intentional? According to renowned Israeli military expert Yagil Levi, the government's decision to attack Gaza despite the presence of hostages in the bomb sites can be considered an extension of the Hannibal procedure, that is, an attempt to thwart the continuation of the captivity even at the cost of risking the lives of the hostages. Another figure who was involved in the campaign to exchange captive soldier Gilad Shalit in 2011 told the Israeli media outlet Shomrim, We are experiencing the flip side of the Shalit case. Hamas expected this to be a repeat of the Shalit case. They thought they would kidnap Israelis and that we would cave in. I believe that it will not happen quickly, if at all. The State of Israel has implemented the Hannibal Directive on the whole of the Gaza Strip since the current conflict erupted, based on the understanding that the moment we release prisoners, we are opening the door for countless more abductions. So while the Netanyahu government blames Hamas for not releasing the captives, it appears that it's intentionally trying to kill them.